You are listening to Scotland's Ear to the Ground, the podcast that brings you interviews with Scotland's finest composers. Your hosts are Aileen Sweeney and Ben Eames. Today we are joined with Ailey Robertson, fresh from her recent success at the Scottish Awards for New Music. Her piece Skydance won the Dorico Award for Solo Work, sponsored by Steinberg. Ailey is a composer, harpist and creative curator whose work crosses the boundaries of traditional and contemporary music. Ailey has been commissioned by the BBC Proms, the London Philharmonic and Bang in a Can and is currently the composer-in-residence with Sound Scotland and Glyndebourne Opera. Hello, it's lovely to have you today. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, first of all, a huge congratulations for winning the Dorico Award with Skydance. You must have been pretty chuffed. Thank you. Yeah, it was just a lovely surprise. Um, it was so surreal, sort of sitting at home and, and seeing everybody else online. And um, I kind of had guessed that probably everyone who was going to win would have been told in advance, but then obviously not. So yeah, it was a <laughs> <surprise>. <laughs> What did you do to celebrate? Uh, I think it was about as wild as having like a wee beer at home. <laughs> a wee beer. A wee beer. <laughs> Can you take us back in time and tell us about the initial inspiration for the piece Skydance? Yeah, so Skydance was one of the, I think it was maybe the first piece that I wrote at the start of the pandemic. Um, I think a lot of the ensembles were great at pivoting really quickly and, and realising that people needed income and, and kind of re-looking at how they were doing things. So the Riot Ensemble did that really quickly. They were fantastic. And I think they started this scheme called the Zeitgeist Commissions. And I was really lucky to be one of the first people that they commissioned through that. Um, and Louise McMonagall, who's their cellist, had come across my work and decided that she wanted to commission me for a piece. Um, so it was kind of funny because obviously at this point, the pandemic was this brand new thing and it was really in that heart of like not leaving the house at all like you had that hour of exercise a day and that was all that was going on and so I was sort of I live in the south of Glasgow and um, so I spent like 40 days like everybody else basically just within four walls and, and kind of slowly losing my mind but definitely the highlight for me was seeing kind of time passing in normal times like I'm away from home so much I I kind of combine composing with performing. So about six months of the year, I'll be on the road. So actually for me, being at home for 40 days was like the longest I'd been home in years and years. So there was this lovely thing of being in the same spot and seeing things change and, and feeling really connected to nature because I live right next to the park and like just seeing everyday things changing and having the time to like be able to take notice of it. And anyway, so yeah, I guess that I kind of had this feeling of being very connected to nature at that time. So then I was asked to write this piece and was kind of thinking, what on earth do I write about? And I really didn't want to write something that was sort of pandemic related at that moment. I didn't want any doom and gloom. Like I wanted something that felt really joyful and, and really free. Um, so kind of exactly the opposite of what we were in. Um, and so, yeah, I remembered that the spring before I'd been up in Orkney and I was really lucky to see a hen harrier. And, and hen harriers are, are very rare in the UK. Like they're only found in a few places. So to see one is rare enough, but to see them do this sky dance, which is this mating ritual they do where they sort of soar up high and then... Um, 
swoop right down and kind of do these huge big loops. Um, it, it's just absolutely amazing to see like there, there's so much freedom in it. It just feels really joyful and really spectacular to see. Um, so yeah, so that kind of became the inspiration for this piece. I wanted to have that feeling of like just being completely and utterly free and, and sort of soaring through the sky with it. Um, and I, I love writing for strings, especially for cello. Like I love that you have so much range and you can really run up and down those harmonics and that kind of became the inspiration for this piece. Just that feeling of that longing for freedom, I guess.
while you were witnessing this incredible spectacle, was there a sound world that came to mind before you actually started writing the piece or was that something that became clearer as the compositional process developed? There was nothing kind of very clear except for I knew it wanted to have that sort of rising and falling feel to it. But again, because I wanted to have a very natural feel to it. 90% of the piece is just natural harmonics. So that sort of started to become like quite an important part of it, just this kind of real connection with these like very pure harmonic tones and, and that connection with nature as well and, and everything sort of feeling like... Um, the, the thing I love about nature, it feels so clichéd, um, but it's, it's so logical in so many ways and I think that that logic ties over to music. The sort of mathematical beauty of, of what you see and what you hear is really interrelated. In your programme note, you mentioned that this experience has given you a greater awareness with your relationship to nature. Would you say that this relationship has continued to develop within your compositions in the last year? Yeah, I think it has, um, but in, in different ways. I think that I find it very hard to like map a route through my compositions because I don't feel like I have kind of one thing that like becomes really that thing where I'm always exploring. I'm much more of a chameleon, I guess, and, and new things are always taking my interest. Um, so yeah, so I, I think that definitely there is always a a sort of quite natural theme to things, but it exhibits itself in different ways. And definitely I've got a big interest in field recording, which we'll talk about in another piece. So that kind of plays into my writing a lot. And then a lot of my pieces before have been kind of very narrative driven. And at the moment, I guess the thing that's really interesting to me is, is taking away all that narrative and, and having kind of very unmelody or harmony led composing and, and seeing what that does and, and just having these kind of interactions of these tones and partials and, and feeling that and also a very sort of natural way. Um, so yeah, it kind of, it, I think it just veers all over the place depending on what I've been reading and, and what's interesting to me at the time. Moving over to your other piece that you've written as part of your residency with Sound Festival, you created a new work, Motherhood. Could you tell us a little bit about this project? Yeah, so I mean, this is a, a very, probably the most personal project that I've ever done. It kind of arose out of, I guess, for any woman in there or any person going into their 30s, the question that starts coming up again and again is, do you want kids and when are you going to have kids? And then it just becomes very incessant. And I suppose for me, my own personal journey was that I, I was always dead against it. Like I was certain I did not want kids and I was I couldn't understand why anybody would have them. Like, I just didn't get it. And then there was this, like, very... People always say, like, your body clock will kick in, and I did not believe this. I was like, that is not a thing. <laughs> but it's a thing. It's really annoying. It's a total thing. Um, and so it's so a kind of overnight turn into, into really wanting kids. And then something that I'd always assumed would happen very easily turned out to be something that actually has now been years of struggle to, to try and make happen and still hasn't so obviously that was kind of emotionally pretty difficult but what I realized through going through this was how many people are going through similar things and it's one of the I think it's like one of the biggest taboos that we have or, or one of the things that is hardest for people to talk about is issues around being parents or, or that journey to become parents and, and how you spend all your teenage years trying not to get pregnant but the reality is that when you actually want it to happen it's incredibly hard and even if you are lucky and it does happen there's all these huge pitfalls that can happen and of course you only ever really hear the happy stories and people are very you know on social media and things like that you're only ever hearing one side of the story so the more I started to speak to people about my own experiences the more I started to hear their experiences and I found out that like 
you know, 80% of people that I was speaking to had some sort of story behind it. So yeah, so it started to become more and more important to me to make a piece out of this. Um, I guess for several reasons. First of all, just to sort of help myself process what was going on. Second of all, to kind of create a bit more of a sense of community around this and to have this space where all these unsaid things could be said. And third, because I think that because our musical canon has been so male-dominated, there aren't that many pieces that have been written about this kind of non-cis male experience. So the older I get, the more important it becomes to me to write pieces that are kind of representing another thing and that aren't just are just kind of about really different themes. What then happened was I'd said to Fiona from Sound that this is what I wanted to do and she was really on board with it. So kind of the next thing that happened, we went into about a six to nine month period of development, which was mostly um, interviewing as many people as I could about their experiences. So I, I mean, I spoke to absolutely loads of people and, and listened to so many fascinating stories by the end of it. So then I had hours and hours and hours worth of material and it was a bit like, what on earth do I do with this? Um, but I guess the thing that kept coming up for me again was this, it, it feels like there's this tension between all these issues that feel like so highly personal and you feel like you're the only person in the world that is going through it and you really can't talk about it because it, it's just too personal. But at the same time, there's things that are affecting so many people and, you know, good and bad, like this whole piece wasn't doom and gloom by any means. Um, but yeah, so so I, I kind of got really interested in, in this tension between like something that was so universal and also so highly personal um, at the same time. Um, so yeah, that became the concept about peace. And so I kind of then spent time going through all these recordings and breaking up and, and using as much kind of verbatim as I could so I wasn't putting my opinions or thoughts onto the text that had been spoken um, and yeah kind of slowly crafting it into a piece that reflect you know it could never reflect everything that people spoke to me about but as many of the facets of it as I could I guess. So you've selected a short excerpt for us to hear today called One in Four. Um, the text that you chose to set is very short but very powerful um, and as you said you carried out loads of interviews gathering lots of different people's experiences how did you begin to focus in on particular words or particular phrases how did you start that narrowing down process yeah so so for this um for this piece the the full text is one in four pregnancies ends in loss so why do I feel so alone you know it, it floored me when I heard it like I couldn't believe that the the number of pregnancies that end before full term it is so high like one in four is a huge number and yet every person who I spoke to said that when they'd had miscarriages like they basically didn't tell anybody like obviously their partner would know maybe very close family but this very hard thing and you know I was speaking to people who quite a lot of my interviewees were other musicians like certain musicians you know who would be having miscarriages on day and having to go on stage and perform that evening and not being able to take the time to grieve and not being able to really speak about it and and um this feeling of like, it was never really a baby, so I can't really grieve it. It seemed like it was this very complicated thing that, that was really creating a, a, a huge amount of grief for people, obviously. Um, but for something that is so common, I mean, one in four is a, a huge number. I just thought it was so sad that anybody would feel like they had to go through that alone and that they wouldn't be able to talk about it. So I felt like just that sentence alone was, was so heartbreaking and that was all the text that was needed around it. It didn't, it didn't need anything else. Um, and then the way that 
the piece works is I was always working with these three female voices and, and what I liked about that is that you can, you've kind of got that possibility for very close harmony because their ranges are all very similar. So it became important to me in this piece to have this feeling of like they were all moving as a whole, like the, the piece as a whole was functioning together and having this sort of universal feel of people going through it, the same thing at the same time. And yet the voices, the way they work are totally independent of others. They kind of move from one chord to the next in their own time and they're saying the text in their own time and with the, however many repetitions they want and things. So it's sort of highly personal at the same time as having this really unified feel. So nice. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, so gorgeous. Thank you. <laughs> so moving on to a fairly recent piece, Dunji, uh, written for double bass and electronics. First of all, could you tell us a little bit about the title? Yeah, so this piece started its evolution back in 2019 when I was staying up in the Cairngorm National Park and I was staying in Glen Shee, which is an area of the 
Park um, and right next to this old kirk. And so Glenshee, the area takes its name from the Gaelic word um, she, which means fairies. And the reason that this place is called that is that apparently, the, the, kind of according to folklore, at the moment there is, there's a kirk that's right there, but the Glen's kind of ancient meeting place used to be behind that, up on this little hill, which was called Dunshee, which translates as the Hill of the Fairies. And there's still, there's like a standing stone from the Bronze Age that you can find in that area. Um, but I loved that it's so apparently in the 1820s, they were wanting to rebuild the church that had stood there. So they they tried to build it kind of further down the glen, but apparently every morning when the workmen went there, they would find that the foundations had all been dispersed again and their tools had been scattered <laughs> and all their work had been ruined. So after like these several unsuccessful attempts they and, and kind of talking about it with the locals, they just decided that like these fairies were being annoyed by this and they had to build the church where it always been um, and so that's where it is and so there's this kind of myth or legend that the fairies in Glenshee decide whether visitors are welcome or not and that if you are welcome you'll return to the Glen for the rest of your life and if not they'll never return. <laughs> <laughs> of folklore. Did you feel welcome? <laughs> I felt very welcome. There, Have you been back? <laughs> I actually, I've only been back once, but uh, probably without the pandemic, I would have been back more. <laughs> You're on the good list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so far.
I love now knowing the story behind that yeah. the piece now. Like <laughs> you can really hear. Like would it be right? And was it a sort of programmatic sort of thing you were going for, or not so much? Yes and no. Like so. So basically, all the electronics that you're hearing there, they're completely natural sounds. Um, so I was saying before that I, I'm really interested in field recording, and one of the things I love about field recording is kind of revealing the the hidden sound world that we can't hear with our own ears. And um, so at the entrance to this kirk, there's a, a sort of really old rusty gate. So one night I'd gone out kind of at dusk and I was just like, I knew it was a wee bit squeaky. So I thought like, oh, I'll, I'll try putting some contact mics on and see what happens. And so I did that and put on my headphones and I was just like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. <laughs> like, and I literally sat for about an hour just playing with this gate and kind of taking different speeds and different things with it. And so again, I, I, you know, I ended up with this about an hour's worth of material. And I was just so amazed at like the range of tones that you got, you know, from like, these really kind of low rumbles up to, up to these high-pitched squeals. Um, and I love, I love kind of inharmonic tones. It's sort of atonality, but without feeling forced at all. Like it's just, those are just the sounds that come out. And, and I love that. Um, so yes, yeah, when I was listening back to it the next day, it just reminded me so much of double bass. And I was like, okay, I think this has to become like a duet. I love kind of when you have a duet between like a um, inanimate object and a human played object um, so yeah so that was kind of then the, the idea to write this duet between the bass and this field recording so the field recording like it's I mean it's a very edited down version obviously to about nine minutes um, so there was, it, it kind of not programmatic in the sense of I was ever trying to like tell a story through it but it was just going through these recordings and selecting the pieces that I liked and, and kind of essentially collaging them just shuffling them all around so the kind of the writing process was that I came up with then the the tape part essentially first and then writing this duet line um, and kind of exploring what sort of counterpoint you could have with these sounds and um, because I think that the tones are so similar like sometimes you get the sense of like especially depending on how it's mixed you can have the sense of not being quite sure where the sound is coming from whether it's from the bass or whether it's from the field recording and then at other times they feel very different um, so yes yeah, so I just really like that kind of interplay between the instruments. I completely noticed that actually that was something that was was the first thing that sprung to mind was like sometimes you're watching the double bass thinking is that the double bass or is that is that the electronics part yeah and you're trying <laughs> yeah, to work it out. Is, it is there any um 
processing that you put onto the the field recordings? So again, the field recording, the only thing it has on it is like I get a little bit of reverb. Oh, really? I thought that kind of to distinguish between the the sounds, giving that a, a little bit, but actually really not much because again, once you have these contact mics, like there's so much natural it's picking up every vibration so actually you know we're talking like really a tiny amount um and then on this particular recording we decided to leave the double bass a little bit more dry just to kind of give that distinction but I think you could you could easily mess around with those wet and dry levels as well and kind of have um have them feeling in quite different spaces or again in kind of really similar spaces but yeah it's, it's just amazing to me every time I do field recording like what comes out and how unexpected it is like I love that feeling of not knowing what to expect and and you put a mic on something sometimes the things that you think will be amazing just sound rubbish and then <laughs> other times it's something like a squeaky gate where you sort of think oh, this won't be anything and you could just listen to it all night it but yeah it's really fun I love that sort of whole hidden world idea and, and magnifying these really tiny sounds that we'd never be able to hear naturally have you got any other like um stellar things that you recorded that you just were not expecting um i've got lots of kind of interesting things of like um of different insects so i was using hydrophones and so if you put them in water like you get sounds of um things like the the water boatman or our little fish you can hear the sound of them like all these bubblings things like that that's lovely um i've got a really nice recording of rain on a slate that was kind of over a pail of water and that had like beautiful sort of marimba like tones um yeah I mean I've got hours and hours and hours of things on my on my hard drive that I kind of just keep going back to for different projects and um how big was this gate it sounds like humongous (laughs) (laughs) no it's not just like you know your standard church rusty gate (laughs) it sounds like some like entrance to a castle or something yeah i mean it's like cavernous isn't it in places like yeah it's absolutely amazing um i couldn't believe like just how big that spectrum was of of things Um, Do, do you carry around like a handy mic with you just kind of day to day yeah i mean in my car i just always have my field recording equipment just because you never know when you might get a chance and again that tends to sometimes be the nicest times when you're just you think uh, that was like this like literally it was on the first night I was there and just sort of thought oh I'll just go down and see what happens and it ended up being something so yeah it's always just really handy to have it with you because you never know what you might find. So we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that your composer residence with Glenborn can you tell us a little bit about what you've been working on during your time there? Yeah, so that's been a really interesting process. So they had a, a kind of emerging composer scheme called Balancing the Score, which was designed to focus on female composers in opera, because again, sort of very underrepresented. So four of us were chosen for the scheme. And what's actually emerged, I don't think any of us expected this is how it was going to be. Um, but what's ended up is we've actually co-written uh, youth opera together. Really? Yeah. So thought for a long time how do how on earth do we structure this and how do you do it in a way where all of our voices can still kind of stay unique, but there's also this collaborative element. So you know it was a custom made libretto and it's all based around the story of the Pied Piper of Hamelin, but telling it from kind of lots of different angles and and um, yeah. So it was a really interesting process to go through and unfortunately I mean the the whole thing has now been delayed 
it was supposed to be last November, then it was pushed to February, then to November, and now it'll be February 22, that hopefully, finally, it will happen. Um, but yeah, I can't, can't wait to actually hear it and see how all these different sections hang together and, and whether that kind of co-creation and co-storytelling has worked out in the end. Are you able to tell us anything about the, the sort of story? Yeah, so it's basically a, a, re, a retelling of the Pied Piper um, and looking at it from different angles. I think with all fairy tales and, again, folklore, I feel like a lot of these things, they sort of had a function or, or they, there was a reason that these stories have become sort of legend and, and that you find parallels of these stories all over the world. And so this one was it's kind of a particularly strange story when you get into it because it's this idea of this um, stranger coming in to a place that has a problem and kind of making this deal, but at the end, at the end, he steals all the children from the um, from the village. <laughs> and I think in the in the actual fairy tale, he takes all the children away and they go to this like cavern under a hill and they're never seen again. So then we kind of started to really speculate about what could have actually gone wrong in this deal and, and what's gone on and how I think in the story it's really negative towards this Piper figure and. I think that we talked a lot at, at the time we were starting this. It was like you know Donald Trump was still in power, and there was so much of this sort of outsider mentality going on, and it was so horrible. And this idea of like the other always being separate, so that kind of became something that we wanted to look at. Um, and yeah, we just kind of used it to like really explore these different power relations and think like what could possibly be the deal that went wrong that would cause somebody to steal all the children from a village um, and were they a bad person or was it because actually they saw that there was something so corrupt in the place that they thought they were protecting these children by taking them away you know and so by looking at the story from all these different angles you start to see all these different everyone's insight into it you're kind of leaving us on a cliffhanger here yeah. like <laughs> dun, 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 dun. and so to finish up is there anything um, coming up that you would like to plug yeah, so I guess the, the next thing coming up is I'm writing a piece for Red Note um, and myself to play at Sound Festival. So this is kind oh, cool. of a, about a 40-minute work for um, a septet of musicians, which will be performed at Sound this year and then Huddersfield um, next year. So doing that and also about to start a collaboration with Scottish Ensemble, which I'm really excited about to just think for their 2022 season um, so yeah lots of lots of nice things coming up it's all going on yeah <laughs> I know I never thought I'd end up so busy during this last year but actually I mean I'm really thankful for it but yeah cozy